The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, back from three weeks of wild adventures on the beautiful, sometimes, Route 66. Wasn't planning on being gone for three weeks, but, um, you know, sometimes stuff happens. And that is the wonderful thing about being in the real estate investing business and having a fantastic team. I got delayed for a week in Grand Junction, Colorado. Nice town, by the way. Anybody looking for a cute little place to visit? Grand Junction, Colorado. Lots of public art, good little restaurants, beautiful scenery. Uh, When we hit a piece of a truck tire and pierced the gas tank on my car, which is still, by the way, in Grand Junction, Colorado. So all this by way of excusing myself for having been absent the last few weeks and... uh, uh, the fact that many of you called after last week's show and said, "Ooh, I want to sign up for that Pete Fortunato seminar that I heard Venus say was in Cincinnati. Uh, the problem is it was in Cincinnati a year ago. <laughs> they had to run an evergreen show and somehow that didn't didn't make it out of the of the show in the edits. So no, sorry, Pete Fortunato is not in Cincinnati this year, although he will be in 2023. So... Trust me, if Pete's in town, you won't hear me say anything for weeks except, hey, Pete's in town. So, yeah, if you'd like to get on the list to make sure you get notified of that, even if you don't have to be listening to the show, go ahead and send me an email to askvina at gmail.com because in 23, Pete and I will actually be teaching a seminar together to, co- to that covers both the both the side of the business that is more my side with systems and staff and marketing and all that stuff and the part that's more his side which is one-on-one conversations with lots of people and negotiations and whatnot should be good and every dime of the tuition is going to charity in the case of that particular event so uh, if you want to make sure you don't you don't accidentally miss it send me an email i'll put you on a list and when we have a date and location i mean it's going to be cincinnati but when we have a date and specific location. I can send you an email about that. Uh, So this is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means there is no show unless you have some questions that you would like to ask. They can be about anything related to real estate investing, Um, buying, selling, financing, management, rehab of questions if I can actually answer them. If not, I'll send them on to somebody who actually can um and you know i'll try and answer them here 
The way to get those questions over to the studio today uh, is uh, you can call them in at 877-772-9658. Again, I'm going to say it slower this time now that you know I'm giving you a phone number. You can write it down or put it in your phone or whatever. 877-772-9658 is the phone number. Or you can send them via email at... Uh, askbina at gmail.com askbina at gmail.com if you're uh, doing the email thing be sure to say where you are writing from because sometimes the answer to the question is going to be somewhat dependent on what market you are talking about Uh, The Real Estate Investor Association of Greater Cincinnati has its first August meeting in person tomorrow night. And uh, it is a topic that seems to have tickled a lot of fancies given the pre-registration numbers for this meeting. It is about uh, shared housing. So, I mean, that can mean a lot of things, right? It can mean, uh, like shared housing for the elderly, shared housing for veterans, for um, recovering addicts, for people with various sorts of disabilities, Uh, know somebody who's getting ready to open up a shared housing unit for somebody who is, for people who are uh, women with babies who are in recovery, (laughs) because, you know, that sort of thing doesn't really exist where you can be in a be in a recovery house and also have your baby with you. So, lots of good. Uh, you know, if if you have a, a a population that you're passionate about, there's probably a way to provide shared housing t- for them. And also, it's a very profitable business. So, uh, early meeting is about how to navigate the Section Eight Housing Choice Voucher Program here in the local area. And uh, again, it is in person. So. If you're not in Cincinnati, you can't get here. Uh, so you're going to have to wait for our third Thursday of the month meeting, which is online. If you are here, you can get a pass at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. Uh, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Bob, who's calling. No, we're not going to talk to Bob. <laughs> because I'm just hearing a busy signal when I try to talk to Bob. Bob, call back. Yeah, Bob, call back. I don't know what happened there. Uh, definitely not going to go to the phones. So uh, let's go look at the email archive because there's always people who have sent in questions in prior weeks that we just couldn't get to because this isn't a podcast and we can't run over by five minutes in case there's stuff that we still want to say we being mostly the guests still want to say um question from julia who is from oh ohio uh she says what are your thoughts on just buying and holding land i'm also referring to springfield ohio uh, so, Julia, the thing is, uh, buying and holding land for what purpose and what kind of land would be my answer to that. I, 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 I have more thoughts than I do experience, I will say that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you're talking about like a, a, a lot in an established neighborhood that you might be buying in the hopes that that neighborhood someday will turn around and command prices where someone would want to build on it, I think that's 
mostly a losing strategy. If you get if you get the property super duper cheap and you can maybe sell it to one of the neighbors on financing for a little more money so that they can have a bigger yard, uh, that can work. If you're talking about a piece of land in an, in a neighborhood where people are already building, I would question why do I why do I want to hold it. If the best use of it is for somebody to build on it, I might want to hold it if I wanted to build on it later, uh, but I would probably go ahead and sell that as soon as I could. If you're talking about what people usually ta- are talking about when they say, you know, I'm, I'm buying and holding land, I'm speculating in this piece of land, you're talking about more land than just a building lot, and you're talking about it being maybe on the on the edge of development or outside of, of the path of development right now and sitting on it maybe for a generation until somebody decides they want to buy a, build an Intel plant on it, or uh, there's going to be a highway going through and it's going to be worth a lot of money. Uh, I would say my thought on that is I would probably do it, but in the meantime, I'd find a way to make the land to make money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just hold it. I would try and lease it to a farmer or if it was wooded, I might have it timbered or if it was wooded, I might, lease it to somebody who wanted to drive ATVs around it on the weekend. Or I might, if it was uh, on a state route, I might try and get some billboard licenses and let people put billboards up on it. Or I would try and do something where I wasn't just paying taxes on it year after year after year and hoping that someday it was going to be worth a lot more than I paid for it. But uh, I'm getting more and more interested in land as I, as I talk more to Kathy Kennebrook about what she's doing in land and you know, having more of my friends and colleagues who say, oh, yeah, we started doing that and it's making money. So ask me again in a year, Julia. But those are my thoughts for right now. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. And that means it's the day that you get to, you know, talk about whatever you've been curious about or whatever issue you're having right now. The number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. Or email your question to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate. So your time to answer whatever question you might have about whatever you want to talk about about real estate investing and uh, the way you do that is by calling 877-772-9658 877-772-9658 don't do that if it's past like 555 today <laughs> there's gonna be people listening to the podcast going and oh it's never past 555 today no matter when you say that, I'm just saying we're only live here until about five till six. And uh, alternatively, you can always send questions like twenty four seven three sixty five to askvina at gmail dot com, and I will store them up and answer them on a future Q and A show. A uh, question here from, can't tell the name because it came through one of those corporate emails, uh, but it was in regards to the show I did with Donna Bauer about uh, a month ago. And the question is, knowing there will be an uptick of foreclosures in the next few years, which states do you prefer and, caution, and which ones do you caution against? So this would have been 
in regards to the idea of buying defaulted notes and then hopefully reperforming them with the borrower, hopefully doing a workout plan that the person who is going to lose their house back when the bank owned the note uh, is able to actually pay maybe an interest rate modification, maybe an extension so that the payments go down, some, something where they can actually pay and keep their house. And the immediate question is, are there states that you prefer and caution against and why? And let me tell you what the bottom line answer is to that, whoever you are, because <laughs> again, it came through a corporate email. It says trade desk. Uh, States that make foreclosures very hard, expensive, and lengthy on the lender are states that most of the note buyers I know are either, either just refuse to buy notes in those states, or if they do buy them, they have to buy them at a very, very big discount to uh, account for the fact that in some of these states, it takes two years to complete a foreclosure. So if you can't do that workout with the borrower whose bad debt you bought, you could be looking at two years until you can get possession of the property or get it auctioned off to get paid back that money. And of course, during those two years, you need to keep the taxes up to date. You need to keep the property insured. The property could be getting in worse and worse condition. And that two-year thing is often, even if the borrower does not file any counterclaims, does not object in any way, form, or manner. So your next question is going to be, what states are those? Uh, the two that I most often hear mentioned in when I'm listening in on note-buying conversations are New York and New Jersey. And I'm sure there are others, but those are the two that stick out in my mind as people are always saying, oh, my God, I've been in this foreclosure now for two and a half years and I paid I paid for the note and then I've been paying the taxes, paying the insurance. The borrower doesn't want to do a workout, but I can't get the property and I can't get paid back by the auction. Uh, there's other states, of course, where foreclosures are very quick and easy for the lender. Uh, places like Texas and Georgia and Mississippi that are uh, deed of trust states where the the processes I mean, can literally be, I mean, there's still the usual, I've got to give you a 30 days notice that you need to catch up and there's, there's some other legal stuff. But once the foreclosure process starts, it's, you know, 45 to 60 days until you're on the courthouse steps. So m- most note buyers, they like states like, Texas, they dislike states like New York, and then there's the states that are in between that are not deed of trust states, but you can get a foreclosure done in seven or eight months, like Ohio. So there's this whole like spectrum of uh, how 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 expensive and difficult it is to complete a foreclosure if you are the lender. Um, how would you know for a particular state if I was if I got a tape of notes and it had a property I was interested in in a particular state? You know what I would do? I would reach out to the note buying community in that state, uh, either through Facebook or through whatever community I was already in, and I would say, "Tell me what I'm getting into if I do this," and then I would believe them because they have experience. It's not what you know; it's who you know in real estate. So appreciate that question. 
Uh, again, it's question and answer week. So if you have a question that you would like to get answered, uh, you can send it to askvina at gmail.com or alternatively, you can give a call at 877-772-9658. Uh, we do these Q&A shows once a month and sometimes... We have more questions coming in than can possibly be answered in a roughly, you know, 50-minute show. And there are some times when we actually are, are need more questions than what we have. So just, you know, always, always, we always do like first priority to people who are calling in or emailing in live that day. Uh, let's go to line one and talk to Matt in Denver. Matt, welcome to Real Life Real Estates. Well, thank you. I just wanted to let you know that Peter Fortunato thinks that you are the bomb. <laughs> anyway, here's my question. I saw that a little while ago your organization there had a seminar on shared housing. Uh -huh. I am in Denver. What would be, how would I find out where the opportunities are? That call is... social workers, call. Well, let, let me let me start with this question, Matt, and and I'm 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 able to speak a little bit educatedly on this because we just did the same meeting in Columbus last night, and uh, I got to hear from some folks who were doing shared housing, and and lots of people were asking the same question you just were. Uh, yeah. do, do you have some feel for what kind of population you would like to house? Well. I learned of uh, there was a subculture of Indonesians who attended this same church, and they were going ballistic on the host home program, which is for IDE adults. Mm -hmm. They were rehabbing their properties and, and bringing people in, and I was renting a room from a guy, and he kicked me out to bring in three, I, three host home people. Uh-huh. Yeah, my understanding is they pay two to five thousand a month, and it's all tax free. Comes through Medicaid. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's tax free to you. I think it's tax free to them. <laughs> but uh, okay, so that that would be uh, older people who are also disabled, or were these younger disabled people? It's intellectually and. Um, developmentally deficient. That's what IDD stands for. Okay, okay. So they're the kind that, you know, they wear helmets and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They, they walk around in groups and apparently there's a huge need for housing for them. Okay, so it, it sounds a little bit like this particular thing interests you because you have heard that it's extremely profitable. Yes. Okay, so I l let me say... Yes, your very first step is to call up every service agency that services these people and start taking the folks who are responsible for housing them to lunch. Okay. And say, tell me what your needs are. Tell me what the perfect property for you is. Cause they're, they're gonna, they're gonna say on a bus line, one story, um, gotta have fire spring. They will give you a lot of information. And right. your next step from there, and, and they can give you a clue about which direction to head on this, is what sort of zoning and licensing are you going to need for that property? Because I promise you, 
with that population, there's going to be some kind of licensing that's needed. And there's mm-hmm. almost certainly going to be some kind of staffing that is needed. And I can I can tell you from the different people that I've spoken to who are doing group housing for uh, folks who have any kind of medical need, their biggest challenge right now is that staffing. Right. It's it's getting and keeping people who, in many cases, in many cases, they're on twenty four hour shift. I'm not like not one person is on twenty. You got three eight hour shifts going on going on at your house and it is really bad if somebody doesn't show up for one of those three shifts yeah so you need you need the people and you need spare people that you can depend on and um a lot of the a lot of the talk in that business right now is about you know let's pay more money than what these folks would get for doing like home health care or something like that and get the best people who will stay around and of course you have to build that into your business model they, right. Yes, I might be able to hire a home health care worker in Denver for 16 or 18 bucks an hour, but I'm going to pay 21. Right. And I'm going to get the very yeah. best. I'm going to get the very best people I can get and make sure that they stay around. Now, the other thing that you might want to explore for yourself is, is there any population that you are particularly passionate about yourself outside of, yes, there's, there's a lot of, you know, private insurance money or Medicaid money or whatever for this population. Is there anybody that when you think about it and you say, if I had won that billion dollar lottery, you know what I do? I would create housing for fill in the blank. Seniors. I mean, that's seniors. Is where I'm 73. So okay. I'm very much identify with the challenges that, uh, people at that age face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is another type of uh, very in demand, uh, potentially very profitable group housing. It can range from sort of, sort of almost like an informal. It's in, it's independent living. It just all happens to be, you know, y- y'all are sharing a house like, like I described it last night. Right. It's, it's kind of like a frat house for old people. Like we, we all started, we all moved out of our houses, moved in with a bunch of roommates, you know, shared, shared the expenses. And then yeah. now at the end of our lives, we're going to do the same thing. So there's my friend's mom is 103 and he's paying six grand a month for a room in one of those facilities. It's not a, it's a single family residence with six people in it. That at that price, it's pro- they probably have some sort of uh, staff on site. Yeah, they feed them and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, so you have to have an off-site doctor and right, right, right. So let's let's imagine this yeah. as a continuum. Okay, so I'm seventy. I'm perfectly healthy. I can you know go to the grocery store. If I have to, um, I just, I Toilet, want, bathe, yeah, dress, I, I just transfer. want, I just want a place where I can live that is not what rents are in Denver. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to pay, I don't want to pay $1,600 a month for a one bedroom apartment because maybe I can't afford you it. Can find it. I, I would love though to pay $1,200 a month for a room that included utilities, linens, you know, but but I'm going to have roommates, right? I'm going to have other people in the house with me. At that right. level, you normally don't, you, you want to check with this at, in Colorado, but normally you don't need any kind of licensing to set that up because you're not providing any extraordinary, you know, any medical care, any staffing support, anything right. like that. So that's, that's 
part one of the continuum is just helping seniors who are having a hard time affording to live alone and maybe even want to live socially uh, to do that. And then there's a next step up, right, which is now I, I do need some care. I'm on a walker. I need to make sure, you know, somebody needs to make sure I'm taking my diabetes shots every day. Um, maybe I can't do my own laundry or I can't cook a meal for myself. At that level, the rooms are more money, like you're collecting more money, but also uh, there's a higher level of, of support. And then, of course, up from that continuum, you start getting into the true assisted care facilities when you start when you start talking about memory care or people are people are bedridden or they they need help they need somebody near them every time they try to get up that's maybe not what you would want to do privately but those first two levels are things that people do all the time and are very in demand and are very profitable and of course help that community so i'm going to send you to the archive at realliferealestate.com, go into the search bar and search for the name Jean, G-E-N-E, Guarino, G-U-A-R-I-N-O, G-U-A-R-I-N-O. So at your Columbus uh, meeting, there are people that are successfully doing this. Yep. I don't, I don't see. I don't know if it's a pipe dream or not. No, we have no. We have people both in in Columbus and Cincinnati who this is their business. Okay. Like this is what they do. This is what they've chosen. This is this is the way that they have chosen to invest in real estate. But it is a business, right? It's not just I own a house. It's I own a house, and it's a specialized living situation for some certain kind of person. And they, they many of them have been doing it for years. Yeah, it it really is a thing. I promise you. Okay. Now, are any of them using real estate land trusts? to take other properties subject to uh they're buying the investment is minimal they're they're buying them in every way that you would buy any investment property okay Uh, there's one there's one that that i'm i'm working on right now not as the i'm working on as the seller of the property where we are arranging private financing for the person who wants to buy it and turn it into a group home because that it, that's that's a hard property to borrow money against, especially the money and the repair money from a bank. Right. And this one, I mean, because you have to do somewhat different things to a house if there's if it's going to be a licensed group home, uh, you know, sprinkler system stuff like that. Uh, even hard money lenders don't know what to do with it. So we're arranging for like a private financing kind of situation. Yes, subject to would work. Yes, owner financing would work. Um, you can even buy existing facilities. There's a there's a number of uh, facilities out there. I, I couldn't tell you the number, but I've run across a couple of them uh, where somebody bought the property to do exactly what you're talking about. They bought it as senior housing, and then they didn't they didn't do a good job of marketing it, or they didn't pay attention to filling up the beds when they went empty, or they didn't. It, so so they've got seven beds. And only three of them have been full for the last two years. Yeah. And yeah. of course now they're, you know, they've been bleeding money because there's still house payments to make and taxes and insurance and all that <laughs> stuff. And so and there's nobody to yell at. Exactly. So you might, you might want to figure out what the zoning is for group homes there in Denver and do the sure. same thing you would do if you're trying to buy a junker, right? 
mail them, right. call them, say, hey, I'm, I'm an interested buyer. How's it going over there? You interested in selling? Because if it's a failing home, uh, A, it's ho- hopefully already set up the way you need it, and B, owner financing is a real possibility, right? Right. So they could get out from under. Okay, yeah. well, you've given me very good information. I appreciate it. And um, I'll check out Gene Barino and see what he's got to say. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you for your call, Matt. Bye. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is question and answer week. 877-772-9658 is the number to call with your questions. You can also email them to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week as it is on the first Wednesday of every month. And uh, it's kind of an open mic day. Well, not you know, like completely open call and talk about real estate. Okay. Uh, 877-772-9658. And uh, also you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com as did Vince, who says he is a Missouri and Illinois wholesaler. Probably means he lives right in the St. Louis area someplace because that's, you know, where there's a sizable population that kind of, kind of is partly in Illinois and partly in Missouri. So Vince's question is, it seems to me that with interest rates going up, it's now harder to find good fix and flip deals to wholesale. So it's either finding rentals or wholesaling creative finance deal. Do you think a fix and flipper would pay a wholesale fee for a subject two if the interest on the existing mortgage is low, wouldn't have the carrying costs of hard money loan to purchase? Vince, I am going to have to do a, a hour and a half or two hour long webinar on wholesaling in a soft market because I I feel like I feel like I'm having the same conversation over and over again, both with wholesalers and with retailers and with housing providers about this interest rate thing. And the conversation I'm having is when interest rates go up, what it affects is people's payments. The secondary effect is the pricing, right? So um, here's how homebuyers think. I went to my mortgage broker. He pre-qualified me to make a $2,500 a month payment. Therefore, I need to find a house that I like where the principal interest tax and insurance payment is going to be $2,500. Now, as you know, prices have gone up a lot in the last few years, and the house that that person could afford for $2,500 a month uh, in, I don't know, January of this year is a different house than what they can afford at $2,500 a month today when interest rates for homeowners have nearly doubled in the last six months. That doesn't mean they can afford half as much house, but they can, depending on what price range they were looking at, they might be able to afford a house that is fifty dollars to $100,000 less than what they could afford back in January. So what does that, how does that homeowner react they might react by saying, well, I guess we have to lower our sights. 
they might react by saying we are not going to lower our sights. We want, we still want the four bedroom, three bath house we were looking for in January and we just, we just have to find it at a price that we can afford. They might react by saying, I guess we better get out of the market until either we can afford more or interest rates go down. Or they might react by making lower offers. If what I can afford is $2,500 a month and six months ago that was a $300,000 house and today it's $250,000 house, might I not just go to the people who have $300,000 houses and say, I will give you two fifty for it. Now, not every, not every home buyer is brave enough to do that and not every buyer's agent would let them do that. But, you know, that starts to happen. And also the people with the $300,000 houses find that their house just isn't selling because all the people who wanted it and could afford it six months ago can no longer afford it. They still want it. They just can't afford it anymore. So if they need to sell their house and it's not selling, what do they do? They drop the price. So my my point in all of this is that the new interest rates should just be built into the offers of the fix and flippers and of the housing providers who have the different problem of I like particular houses in particular neighborhoods and now my payment is is too high. If I pay that for if I pay what I would have paid six months ago for a property, my payment's too high for the property to cash flow. The the thing about investors is they're perfectly willing to make a lower offer. There aren't too many investors who if they did did the math and said, uh, my payment's going to be too high if I pay this much for the house, won't go in and say, well, I can't pay you that, but I could pay you this other number. Eventually, this all affects home prices, right? Like you're gonna you're gonna start to see. Well, we're already starting to see more inventory staying on the market longer. Uh, when I talk to my real estate agent friends, they say, well. Um, we're still selling properties. I mean, like they're they're still they're still going, but they're not going for twenty percent over asking price with no inspection contingencies and uh, appraisal gap from the uh, uh, clause from the buyer and all of that sort of stuff. So inventory is building up. People who really need to sell will deal with all that competition by lowering their prices. Your buyers, who are the ones you're concerned about, will simply rethink what they can pay for a house that's going to sell for X dollars. And you as a wholesaler need to be talking to those folks and saying, you tell me how you are adjusting for the fact that uh, a year ago, if you bought a house in June and you had it on the market in September, it was worth 5% more without you even doing anything to it than it was in June. And now if you buy it in June and sell it in September, it might be the same. And if you sell it in January, it might be potentially worth less. Tell tell, tell me how you are dealing with that. And then you go make your offers according to what they are telling you they need. So ultimately retailers are going to do this. The fix and flip people are going to do this. They are going to stop wanting to buy at 75 cents on the dollar less repair costs. They're going to go back to 70% less repair costs. They are going to build in longer holding times to their thoughts about what they can pay because every month that you have to hold a property because it's not selling costs about 1% of the ARV of the property. 
uh, they are going to, if the market actually starts to drop, which we really haven't seen yet, uh, they're going to maybe even say, you know what, I'm, I don't know how far or how fast it's going to drop, so I don't want to pay more than 65 cents on the dollar. And your rental housing providers are going to do the same thing because we are, we are in our second quarter of negative GDP growth. Apparently, according to the White House, that no longer defines a recession. But, you know, to all of those of us who have just been taught forever that, that it defines a recession, we're in a recession. And the other thing that happens in recessions is uh, rents flatten out and or go down. There's less demand for rental housing. So your your rental housing provider friends are going to be kind of doing the same thing only based on an income method. They're going to be saying, I don't want to pay more than this much because I need to keep my payment at what it was when the property was worth more. And maybe I need to keep it a little lower in case rents drop. But it, it's, a, it's not that difficult to make that adjustment to what you are doing once you understand what they are doing. So don't don't just throw up your hands and say, my gosh, there's not going to be any more retailer buyers. Uh, by the way, buying a property subject to is not that big a thrill to a retailer buyer. Because yes, they get to maybe pay a lower interest rate on that part of the money they need. But remember, they also need money for repairs and they're going to borrow that from a hard money lender, which they can't typically do as a second mortgage. So they might, the subject two might not do them any good at all because their hard money lender might say, well, we're not going to be in second position behind this subject two. You got to borrow all the money from us. And plus they're only going to hold it for what, three, four or five, six months. So the difference between paying 5% over the course of five or six months and paying 12% over the course of five percent over the course of five or six months. It's really not that big in sheer dollar terms. So, um, yeah, my expectation is if the recession gets deep and I, I don't know that it's going to do that, I think it's going to be a more typical, you know, 13 month recession where average house prices might drop 5%. And yet for real estate investors, it's remembered as a time of really good deals because that's average house prices, not motivated seller house prices. And uh, people, the people who are going to be like really actively wanting to buy are going to be the people who are planning on holding through that recession. So yes, do look at, do look at uh, potential rental properties as a focus for your wholesale business, but don't, don't think for your fix and flip people, go ask them. And I think they're going to tell you, I don't really care about a subject too, because I'm only going to hold it for a few months. The landlord folks, they're going to care. Thanks for your question, Vince. It's Real Life Real Estate Question and Answer Week, 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing Question and Answer Week. Um, looking here at an email that just came in. Mike, I think this is either for you or possibly for Dave. It's from Harry. Harry says, right after the show last week, the announcer said he had two tickets to the Willie Nelson and ZZ Top concert for a $75 donation from the station. I got them, and it was an absolutely great concert. Just another benefit of listening to real-life real estate investing. <laughs> well, congratulations, Harry. I'm glad you got the tickets to that and enjoyed the concert so, so much. Okay. A uh, question from Bruce, who says, I am selling properties in St. Louis. What's up with St. Louis today? 
all are in need of repairs. I'm trying to avoid taxes and real, reinvest in real estate. So should I put these properties in LLCs or trusts before I sell them, transfer to an SD IRA, self-directed IRA or self-directed Roth 401k somehow before or after to avoid taxes as when you pay taxes, your money is gone. Well, Bruce, I have a lot of questions for you, dude. Uh, first of all, you are not going to be able to transfer these to your self-directed IRA or 401k. I, I'm gathering that you own them yourself at this point, and you cannot make that kind of transaction. That's a prohibited transaction. My question for you, though, would be how long have you owned them? Because there is a solution here if you have held them for investments and have owned them for some reasonable period of time. Most 1031 exchange intermediaries would say a year or a year and a day, but others would say, you know, as long as you held them for investment, you tried to run them out, you did run them out, you were, they were not just inventory. You didn't, you didn't just buy them with the intention of reselling them. Then you can effectuate a 1031 exchange on these. Those are going to be, that's going to be a little, it sounds like it's multiple properties and it sounds like you might want to reinvest the money in either one or multiple properties. And that that's all very doable. It's just, you may have to coordinate when the closings are on these ones that you are selling because there are some limitations on 1031 exchange timings. You have to identify what you are buying instead within 45 days of the time you sell property or properties, and then you have 180 days to close. So I'm once again going to refer you to the Real Life Real Estate Archives. If you go to realliferealestate.com, look up Jack Shea, S-H-E-A. You will find a fairly recent interview sometime in the last quarter or so with him. He is a guy who has been uh, a 1031 exchange intermediary for decades and decades knows a lot about those exchanges. And I think he can, I think that will fill in the blanks for you on what you can do here. If you just bought them and it, the intention was to resell them, nothing about moving them into an LLC or a trust is going to, is going to do anything to help you avoid taxes on them. Uh, I think your probably only bet at that point is to, and I'm not even uh, not even 100% sure you can do this, maybe take the money and move it into an Opportunity Zone fund. If you uh, go to the archive and look for Opportunity Zones, we've got a couple of uh, interviews about that with people who know more about it than I do, but it's all, it's all going to hinge on a bunch of stuff. Like, for instance, that you have held these for investments and for how long and so on. But, uh, you know, good good idea thinking about how I can reinvest all that money instead of giving a bunch of it to the government right at this moment. Eventually, of course, you, someone is going to, maybe your heirs are going to sell the, these properties and they will have to maybe pay the taxes. Uh, but, yeah, the more you can keep of it to reinvest now, the better. Oh, golly, you know, this this email I just got reminded me of something that I meant to tell folks, which is that uh, OREA, you know, you keep hearing me talk about the National Real Estate Strategy Summit that's sponsored by OREA, and it's coming up here in Cincinnati on November 3rd through 6th. Uh, last week, OREA instituted a scholarship for a family who wanted to come to 
the event and that that's you know parents and kids or grandparents or kids or don't don't kidnap any children but you know if you have children in your immediate family they would count and the scholarship consists of um free admission for both the adults and the children to uh the children will be probably going to the youth academy that's Saturday and Sunday that is specifically for 15 to 21 year olds uh, it includes three free nights at the hotel and it includes uh, water park passes for the kids who are too young <laughs> to maybe be going to the events themselves. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a financial need based scholarship. So uh, I was tasked with taking applications for that. So uh, it's the same email address, askvina at gmail.com. If you or someone that you know would benefit from this, maybe they they can really take advantage of the all the knowledge and education and networking that goes on there and they they would like to get their kids more educated about entrepreneurial stuff, but money might be standing in the way of that. You can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, we're the, the area will choose the recipient of that scholarship on August the 15th. I believe the date is so Linda, thanks for sending me that email to remind me that, that is available for listeners. You don't have to be from Ohio. You don't even have to be a listener. You don't have to be a member of Oria. You don't have ever been to the convention before. It's just a, it's in it's in memory of Connie Collins, who was a past president of Oria, who passed away earlier this month and was a huge fan of the uh, children's education that is available at the National Real Estate Summit. Uh, okay, we probably have time for one more question. And somehow I've lost my radio question inbox here. Um, let's see. Uh, so I am a Rio of Greater Cincinnati member, says Mike. Um, I have a question about wholesaling properties that are listed in multiple listing service. Is there a list that you could give for what needs to be added to a contract that a real estate agent would draft, i.e. the LLC name, the words and or signs, needing to submit a written inspection, etc.? Golly, Mike, so this is what I'm going to say about wholesaling properties that are available in MLS. You need to be ready, willing, and able to close those deals yourself before reselling them. If you can't find a buyer who will just take an assignment of contract in the time that you have to close. Uh, wholesaling MLS properties is a, a little bit more of an advanced thing, but the uh, it's not, it's not more advanced. It just, it, it does require that you be ready to close. And that means that you have to have intense confidence in your own ability to analyze those properties. You don't want to be putting properties under contract at more than, you can wholesale them for and then backing out of contract after contract after contract because it will take about 10 minutes for you to have that reputation amongst every agent in the city and then no seller ever accepts your offer as made through MLS again because their agents tell them not to. I have wholesaled many MLS properties always with the expectation that I might have to close if I, you know, if you can borrow money to close. It's not like you have to have your own cash. But more importantly than the wording in the contract is you need to have a money source lined up. You need to be really confident in 
if if I if I have analyzed the property, I know that it will sell for this much money, so I'm going to offer this much money instead. Um, and or signs does no good whatsoever. Uh, at least in Cincinnati, contracts are automatically assignable because they do not say they are not unless the agent happens to write that in. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a bigger conversation and I'm being told that, you know, my time is up, but that's, that's my recommendation to you, Mike. Uh, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing until then happy investing. Happy investing.